Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, a podcast dedicated to educating the Latino community about entrepreneurship, investing, and business. What's going on, Latin Wealth family? Welcome to another episode to the Latin Wealth Podcast. I'm extremely excited about today's conversation because number one, we're at the Cosign Studio in Dallas, Texas. So huge shout out to the Cosign team for allowing us to use this amazing space. And in addition, we also have another guest on the podcast. So you guys already know, quick introduction about our guest today. She's a highly motivated and driven Latina entrepreneur, full-time content creator, and she's also a financial education and wellness coach for the next generation of investors. And overall, a super dope person, got an amazing story that we're going to jump into Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, Leia, the Latina Wealth Activist. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, it's a rainy day in Dallas, <laughs> but we made it. We yeah. made it past traffic, so I'm super excited to be here, honestly. Dope, dope, dope. Love it, love it. Um, yeah, it's funny because I think we spoke on the phone about a month ago, yeah. and I think you were on your way to Utah, which this is where you're from. I think that weekend you were heading out to see your family and whatnot, which is dope. Uh, but it's crazy because I'm going to be honest, I've never met anybody from Utah. <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Let us know a Latina. So I would love for you to tell us how did your family get to Utah? What was it about Utah that your family picked? And uh, we're going to get into your story specifically, yeah. but I want to know that transition. Yeah. So my parents' story is a big like factor into my life. They crossed the border at different times um, in their childhood mm -hmm. at you know, they met in actually Utah, my parents. So they, from what they have told me, they migrated to LA. They like, you know, they all went to LA at one point in their lives. And then there was job opportunities in Utah. They were hearing about construction, landscaping and things like that. And so my dad actually started his own maintenance company in Utah. Someone told him to go over there. There was opportunity. And especially as an immigrant, you don't really find a lot of those opportunities, especially back then, right? So for him, you know, picking up leaves and mowing lawns was the next opportunity for him to build mm. his own wealth. So he started a maintenance company in St. George, Utah. And I think it's the scenery that brought him yeah. to Utah because honestly, growing up there, I don't know what there is other than <laughs> the scenery that will keep you there. But yeah, so he, he started his landscaping business mm. there. And then my mom eventually por un primo, se conectaron, and then my dad and my mom started dating, and well, you know, I think over 25 years now, wow. my parents have lived wow. in southern Utah. Yeah, and they're still over there? Yep. Oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. Okay, dope. So, talk to us about your experience living in Utah, and you just growing up in uh, that household. Yeah, so Utah is a beautiful place. If you haven't been there, there's Zion National Park. There's uh, Lake Powell next door. Vegas is next door. You also have like the northern Utah experience where you can go skiing, snowboarding, best powder in the world is what they call it um, in, in Salt Lake City. And so you get a little bit of the snow and the summer heat and desert. Mm -hmm. And so people love to go hiking and do outdoors activities. And, you know, a lot of people like to think about Mormons when mm -hmm. they think about a southern Utah or even Utah in general and there is a strong community of Mormons out there so growing up as a Latina in a highly like 100% community of Mormons uh, always being the only Latina in a room or the only 
a person of color mm -hmm. in the room too. So it was really hard to process all of that because I didn't really see the difference in my skin color until like intermediate school, mm. you know, and someone would say, oh, well, you're not like me or, you know, oh, because you, you have an accent. At that point in my life, I guess I had an accent. Um, now my English is pretty, Yeah, they say whitewashed. <laughs> <laughs> Pero al igual, you know, my parents just wanted me to be successful. They wanted me to grow up in a, in a community that was safe, in a community where I would get really good education because public school education is really good in Utah because we have, you know, a lot of uh, involvement in the mm -hmm. public education. They put a lot of dollars in there. So, you know, I went to public school. I didn't really have a, anything special about me until my grades started showing that. And that's where I was more of the books person in school because I there was not a lot of people like me doing mm -hmm. sports or activities. The only thing that I could trust was being a nerd in school. Mm -hmm. and And even... My, my experience was I would literally build a community of, you know, I would call us the brownies back then. <laughs> it was me, you know, mixed girls, Polynesian girls, and Native American women. And we would all get together and hang out because we felt secluded in mm. our own schools. Yeah. And so we built our own mini community, which really brought me this love for building community later on life. I didn't know that's really where it rooted from, but... Even in our household, you know, there was salvadoreños, pero una comunidad bien chiquita. And it was all my, my cousins and primos. And so it was really hard to expand and find your own culture in Utah. So for me, living there was like, okay, well, this is one part. I'm already the one Latina. But then adding the fact that when I identified as queer, that was a whole other experience. Mm. Because that was a, a version of me that I had to hide yeah. in Utah. Got it. Talk to us about your experience growing up in a household where your parents are entrepreneurs and business owners. Uh, walk us through, um, you know, what were the conversations like when speaking about money and business in your household? Oh, yeah. So because my parents are entrepreneurs, I knew about business very, like, young. From the age of five, I was with my dad working in, you know, construction in his landscaping business because he already had maintenance, landscaping, and started expanding. five years old? Yeah, from five years old. He would put me in his truck and he'd take me with him. He's like, vamos a trabajar. Mm. You know, and so I would go with him. I would see him interact with clients. And, you know, it's so funny. I didn't really think much of it. I'm like, oh, just my dad working, right? Mm -hmm. But as I grew older, I got more involved with his business because, you know, he needed my help. He didn't know everything about mm -hmm. business. He didn't know how to speak fully English, pero he would get help from allies who would want to help him build his business. So eventually, once I started going to high school, I actually was also in college studying finance and business. And so that is where I really got more involved in that process of helping him with his systems and helping him with his accounts, doing his bookkeeping. And honestly, a lot of my knowledge comes from my dad. And, you know, he's an immigrant. He's from El Salvador. And so learning from him... I, I guess I didn't take it. I took it for granted at first because I was like, okay, I'm learning from my dad, but it was just another day of entrepreneurship, yeah. you know, another day of running a business. And that's why I really wanted to steer away from entrepreneurship when I was a kid. Interesting. So there was a pivotal time, I think, when you were 12 years old, when you and your dad had a conversation and he basically told you, like, yo, I need you to be smart. I need you to be intelligent. I need you to be successful, right? I would love for you to 
tell the audience that story and like walk us through you know what made him tell you that right what yeah. you know what i'm saying because a lot of i think a lot of parents say that by default to their children like you got to be smart you got to get good grades mm -hmm. but the way that from your perspective it was like no nah, it was like this this is a necessity yeah. you got to make it happen uh, so this this memory is the one that sticks with me very deeply because mm -hmm. it's like the ass that my dad gave me for my life and my career path mm -hmm. is so Everyone knows about the 08 financial you know, housing crisis. A lot of people of color, black and you know, indigenous people of color were impacted by what happened here, right? So in 08, a lot of people got home loans through predatory practices, through either mortgage loan companies or banking institutions. They were offering loans with variable interest rates. Anywho, long story short, when the housing crisis started to begin. A lot of people started foreclosing on their homes, et cetera. My family was one of those mm -hmm. um, impacted from losing their home after the 08 you know, crisis. Was it something like in the fine print that, like, what was it? You know what I'm saying? Um, so from, from my family's experience, it was more that they didn't understand the risks that they were getting involved in getting a home that was above their financial means. Um, at that point, there wasn't a lot of regu regulatory practices or um, laws integrated into lending at that point. That's why after 08, it was harder to buy a home because they had more rules in place because they learned from the mistakes of 08. So for my family, was they, they got too much house for the amount of money that my, my family was making at that point in time, and especially since they're tied to construction, they're tied to the construction and home you know growth of you know, the economy of Southern Utah or Utah in general. So, um, so long story short, eventually we couldn't afford to pay for the light. Mm -hmm. uh, we eventually we couldn't afford to pay for water. Uh, we would fight over who would get the shower in the morning or who would get the hot shower in the morning because, shoot, we were asking our tios and tias for money to pay for this house. And it was a nice house. Like, we live, my dad really worked hard for this house, but yeah. he couldn't afford it. And... Uh, so around, like, I was, like, 13, 14, you know, navigating life, uh, about to, you know, go into sophomore, like, middle school, high school, right, freshman, become a freshman, uh, not fresh, freshman, senior, fresh, freshman. Uh, my, my dad was telling us that, hey, we have to foreclose on the home. We've lost everything. Uh, and this is going to be our last week here, so we've got to start packing. And I, and I was like, okay. And I was going to go back downstairs to my room, like, understanding, okay, this is, like, my last, mm -hmm. you know, few weeks here at the home. And, you know, my parents tried everything they could to keep the home. They, they wanted to refinance. They wanted to do anything possible so that they could get the home because we spent a lot of years not paying for, sure. for the mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, and so he, when I was going down the stairs, he was like, Leah, he's like, Leah, quiero que seas inteligente. Quiero que seas mejor que yo because yo no quiero que sufres como yo he sufrido. Because especially as a Latino parent, and especially dad, a male figure, right? They don't want to feel like like money is what they tie their success to. Mm -hmm. Being able to pay for the bills, provide por el techo, you know, la comida en la mesa. And my dad couldn't do that anymore. And so he, he trusted me. He was like, I need you to be better. You know, I took that message and I was like, okay, Leah, your dad is literally begging you to be smart in school, to get good grades, and I was already doing that, but it made it more serious. It made it more like, yeah, this is, this is what you need to do. Did you feel any pressure from that moment? 
Oh, hell yeah. I think... <laughs> how, how did you deal with it as well? Uh, therapy later, later, later mm-hmm. on. The pressure that I felt with my dad telling me, hey, I need you to go to school. I need you to, you know, be smart, essentially. It It's what drove me through my education. Mm-hmm. So I got a bachelor's degree at the age of 19. Mm-hmm. It's what drove me to get a corporate career as fast as possible. At the age of 19, I entered Mm. and started working for a top investment bank. And I didn't realize the pressure that it caused me until I started deconstructing even how I felt, the controlness that I felt in my life. Um, I started therapy around 20, 21, Mm -hmm. and didn't realize that a lot of the, the, the anxiety that I was feeling because I felt like I had to leave my parents behind in order to pursue a corporate career. Um, so I moved out when I was 19 as well. And you don't see that happening a lot in the Latin household where a female is leaving their, their mm-hmm. parents' house, right? And so for me, it was like, okay, Leah, as much as you love them and as much as you're doing everything for them, you have to become your own person. You have mm-hmm. to go through your own experience and that's why I didn't want to push entrepreneurship because I saw my dad mm. fluctuate through, you know, like yeah. having a business, uh, struggling to pay the bills. We lost the house and now we have to, you know, start all over. My dad had to rebuild his credit because he, you know, there was bankruptcy involved with my family. And so I did, I was like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that risk. So I'm going like, to pursue a corporate career. Mm-hmm. And that was another shift in yeah. my life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I mean, shout out to you for going to therapy so early on in your life because 20, 21 year old, I don't know too many people going to therapy at that age. And I think there's such a negative stigma attached to therapy. Um, even when I started going, like people asked me, like, yo, what's up with you? Like, are you good? I'm like, I'm good. It's just like, look, some of the things that we've been through as a child, these these things that we've seen as normal the really traumas that we need to dig up and um, fix and work on, right? And that's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to be the best that I can be. And, you know, therapy can definitely help you with that. So you started in the corporate world. You um, talked to us about that, the company that you you worked with. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was an experience. A lot (laughs) of people know my experience uh, with that company. So I worked at Goldman Sachs for four years. And for the people that don't, no Goldman Sachs. Can you give us some type of comparison or like, I know it's, 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 it's a company yeah. that a lot of people in the financial space, they want to work at. Yeah. It's like the Apple of tech. It's like mm. the Google of like compare it to that industry. Yeah. It's like the Apple and the Google of banking essentially. So Goldman Sachs used to be very exclusive in a sense that you had to have multi-million dollars to even be considered as a client when I first started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, they started launching their consumer banking um, division where they were offering now what most people know as Marcus, their high-yield savings account and other products and um, loans that they now offer. But Goldman Sachs is very elite. Um, investment banking is very elite. There's only certain personalities that can really uh, succeed mm-hmm. in, in this in this industry because it's very intense, meaning millions to billions of dollars on the line if you make a mistake. Any trade, any any information, little detail that's not put on, you know, their their regulatory information, like they cannot do business. And mm-hmm. so it was it was very competitive. Mm. It was 
know, my first two years working there, I, I was in the client onboarding division, mm-hmm. um, helping people, you know, get onboarded with their legal information. So I did a lot of research on how to identify what's an LLC versus, you know, a partnership business mm-hmm. and what type of business are they doing? What's their SIT code? These are all banking words, right? So anywho, long story short, it... At first, I was like, oh, my God, I'm breaking generational curses. I'm working in the corporate world. I'm creating this life that I that is now secure, that is giving me stability. Okay, But also, I'm a first-gen Latina, mm-hmm. and I'm also queer. Mm-hmm. And I have to navigate these identities in a corporate setting that I've never experienced before. Because corporate culture in itself is very different than, like, our own home culture or even college culture. And so... When I entered, it was a culture shock because not only did I see people from all over the world in this in this bank, in this office in Salt Lake City, Utah, but I also saw layers to my job. Like, okay, yes, you have this task, but you also have to network to certain with certain individuals to grow your career. You also have to be like your manager's favorite. You also have to, you know, network with people you don't even know and know upstream and downstream processes that you didn't even think would tie to your job, but it does. And so it was, the first two years was like, oh my God, I'm here, I did it. <laughs> and then after that, after that, like the last two years, I started going to therapy, mm. okay? So therapy really, really mm-hmm. dug out that trauma for me. And I started discovering my relationship to my job and the stress that it was causing me because I no longer had a work and life balance. Um, I had a manager who really just didn't treat me with a lot of respect, even though he needed me so much in this role. There was just things that happened in in my internal team that made me really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in working in that space, and especially for my mental health. And when my my therapist was like, your manager is the cause of your depression and your anxiety, Mm -hmm. and that's the reason why you don't want to go to work, Mm -hmm. that is when I was like, all right, what am I doing, right? So I decided to switch teams thinking that it was going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I'm going to switch teams because, yes, sometimes it's organizational, meaning your manager and your direct managers are the culture of that company, not essentially the full entire culture of the company. Mm-hmm. So I even went into tech. So I was doing um, more of email uh, management for the tech side of the business. And even with that, it was just like I there's a lot of things that happened, but I was still overworked, underpaid mm-hmm. and undervalued. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. And a lot of people, especially as first-gen, we don't know what to do in these corporate settings. We're just trying to navigate life. We're just like, okay, we got this opportunity. Let's just go. But for me, it was like, okay, Leah, I need to be the best, right? I have this little voice in my head from my dad talking to me at like Mm. 12 years old, like, Leah, you need to get your shit together, right? You need to be intelligent. So that that voice was always in my head. And as because I wanted to be more successful, that means I had to be overworked. I needed to work more. I needed Mm. to do more, right? But... I was talking to a coworker and I was like, okay, it's comp time. They told me if I live or if I work in this, this role for a year, I will get good comp next year. Right. So a lot of bankers wait for comp season, right. To see what their new salary and their bonus is going to be. Because they say in, in banking, your bonuses are fat. That's a lie. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it really just depends on the market and the, the performance of the business. But and so we're not to cut you off, but you yeah. Was this office in Utah? Where were you yeah. at? Oh, okay, yeah, I cool. was in Utah. Yeah, I was all in Utah. I didn't leave Utah until recently. Um, so, yeah, this was all based out of Utah. And I was talking to my coworker, like I was saying, and I was like, so how much money do you make? I was like, 
you know, I want to know how much money you make because comp season is around the corner and you just got onboarded. I'm teaching you what I know. So I want to know what you make. So I know that that's like my base level, mm -hmm. right? Tell me why she tells me that she makes $60,000 more than me. Wow. 60000 Go for her. Well-deserved. Yeah. Well-deserved. Wow. Not saying that she doesn't deserve that. No, she deserved it. But the difference between me and her is that I was an internal hire, meaning I grew up in the business mm. and she was a lateral hire, mm. which means she is external. She already has market value. My market value is whatever Goldman dictates. Mm. So that is where I had a problem. I had a big problem because I was like, okay, I just got my master's degree in finance and information systems to be the best product manager you ever had on your team. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me now that I'm $60,000 underpaid. Comp mm -hmm. season is, is in two months. So I'm trying to prepare this conversation, right? You eventually learn the corporate politics of mm -hmm. how to navigate that, that conversation. And Did so, you feel yourself conforming to like that corporate world? I mean, you talked about your identity as, as a queer woman, as a Latina. Mm -hmm. Did you feel yourself like moving away from who you were a little bit? Yes, I was completely disconnected from my purpose, from mm. what I even wanted to do in my life. I, like I said, my, my work consumed me to the point that outside of work, what I was talking about with my friends was work. Was work. What was your purpose at that point? My, I, in my head, I was like, I'm going to become an MD at Goldman Sachs. I'm going to be the top, the only you know, queer Latina mm. managing director in this bank. I'll make a difference. That's what I thought. <laughs> so comp season comes around. You're preparing for it. Yeah, comp season comes around. They tell me, Leah, so you are a senior associate on this team. And unfortunately, pandemic, pandemic happens. I look at these. I, I have a master's degree in finance, right? So I, I learned how to study financial statements. So I went to their financial statements. I looked at how much money they were putting towards compensation mm. for, the, for the last quarter. And I was like, hmm, they're not putting money in compensation. They're putting it in their cash, which means they're hoarding their money mm -hmm. to protect themselves for any risk in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And they're going to do at the cost of also their employees. Because even though they're making wow. good money, they were announcing, oh, my God, it's the top year of our, our business. And when I was looking at the math, the math ain't mathing for their employees. So... <laughs> Tell me why they tell me, Leah, you know, we're going to remove your overtime and we're going to make you a full-time salary because they had different structures of exempt and non-exempt um, for overtime. And so they're like, we're going to remove your overtime, which I was working hella overtime, and we're just going to pay you $63,000. Right, four years in, a senior associate at this point, a, and my coworker makes over that, like mm. close to $120,000. So I'm over like, okay. So how do I have this conversation that my peers make more than me? I know all my peers make more than me. Mm -hmm. They all make six figs. They're in tech, right? And here I am teaching this other person who makes mm -hmm. more than me. She deserves it. But also I'm like, okay, what about me? Right? So we have that conversation and they kind of took that with like, okay, Leah, but that's not how our policies work. You're internal hire. You kind of go through this process. HR thinks this is the best um, rate for you and, and your experience and your, you know, what you offer to the team. And I was a top performer, don't get me wrong. And I was like, okay, that's, that's what you could do for me. Okay, I'm going to take that, okay? So I accepted it, even though I'm losing money because that overtime was having me mm -hmm. make over 70000 
Okay, seventy to eighty thousand is what I was making with overtime. So telling me no, <laughs> overtime, I'm losing money, right? Mm-hmm. I got big mad. I was like, okay, so what do I do to fight back, right? I'm like, I got to start a side hustle. I got a mortgage to pay because I had bought a home in Salt Lake City at that point. I thought I was gonna be so secure here, right? Mm-hmm. So I have that conversation, go back home, start talking to my older brother. My my older brother lives in Spain. He's an entrepreneur. He teaches English to Asian students. Um, He has a whole company, and he's opening and starting an app. And so I was going to talk to him. He's wise, right? Mm -hmm. My older brother. And he was like, Leah, just start your own business. Start a side Mm -hmm. hustle. Start a passive income. We're in the pandemic, you know. Go home. Think of something that you're good at that you love and and start, start something. And I knew I always wanted to help my comunidad because at this point, I'm having a come to Jesus moment. Like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I work for this bank. I've been working for, you know, here almost four years. I'm like, and there's still, I feel like I have to fight for my value, even though they know what I'm doing and they know how I'm performing. They know I will go. I've been working 2 a.m. for them. You know, I've been working for our Bangalore time zone, our Warsaw time zone. I'm over here working multiple time zones for them. And for what? To make more multi-billionaires rich? Mm-hmm. What about my people? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? Losing their jobs in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. At home, unemployment, can't work because they're in the service industry. All my friends are telling me, Leah, I don't know what to do. I have my business. I can't go to work. We have, we're all in lockdown. I don't know what to do with my money. And I'm like, okay, this is what you should do. Here's uh, quick tips, you know, like, okay, do you have your savings, emergency fund? You know, like, mm-hmm. start talking. I started having those conversations with them because through my own education, I learned personal finance. So... I'm over here like, okay, I think I can do that as a side hustle. I can help people with their business because thank you, daddy. Daddy told me how to run a business. Um, and so I was like, I can start one. My dad did it. I know the skill sets. I know how to talk to clients. I know how to help people even start their own business and run it correctly. I was like, okay, I'm going to take this knowledge that I learned in banking, turn what I learned from my daddy, learn what from my, I learned from school. I'm going to make this business. And then, huh? No, no, go ahead. No, and uh, it was just, it just all came together. I was just going to say, like, that's, so when people ask, like, yo, what type of side hustle should I start? Like, I don't know what side hustle to start. You just broke it down in a way where I think damn near anybody can do it, right? Take what you're knowledge about, knowledgeable about, uh, maybe take something that you've known about for a long time and put it together and, you know, create a service or a product out of that. I think a lot of times people just simply overthink the ability to bring in more income, right? And I love that you took what's already been taught to you over the years and you just found a group of people that needed this information at a really good time where, like you said, businesses were closing down, people were losing their job, unemployment and all that. So they needed your service. Um, So you started putting this information out on social media a little bit. And then your job found out about it, right? Mm-hmm. And t- t- walk us through that point and what happened yeah. when they found out. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, I it's a moment that I'm like, you know, it happened. Yeah. I, I was trying to follow the rules. So I talked to a mentor and I was like, hey, so I have this side hustle. I'm mm-hmm. not really making a lot of money, but I just opened an Instagram for it. I've only been helping my family, but I think I can do something with it. I think I could change the world with this. Mm-hmm. I think I could make an impact into my community because clearly there is no one providing services for Latinx or even black communities here in Utah. Mm-hmm. Period. Period. Mm-hmm. Any consulting, any finance, education, support, nothing. Wow. 
And so I have a market that's been untouched. I took what I knew from what I learned, and I was like, okay, there's a market that I can serve, and I'm really passionate about this. So what, what do you think I should do? I want to open my LLC. I want to get this started. I want to get this flowing. And she was like, okay, well, all you have to do is report it to uh, compliance. Just put, you know, fill out this you form. You got to report what you're doing in your free time to your job. Interesting. Yeah, so <laughs> that's just how it works. and Because they have a lot of regulatory policies mm-hmm. in banking. So I understand why. Yeah, yeah. Um, it can but, be a conflict of interest. Yeah, a conflict yeah. of interest. Mm-hmm. So that's what ended up happening. So I had reported it. They denied my request. And I was like, okay, they denied my request. So I'm going through this mental battle of do I pick me or do I pick them, mm-hmm. right? Make zero income, not know how much money I can make, take that risk that my parents have always taken, or just follow the the, the way that I was taught, mm-hmm. you know, institutionalized to believe that is the, the road to go, get a corporate job, move up the ladder, and ta-da, you, you made it, right? So tell me why uh, they deny me, and then I... I have my Instagram still open mm-hmm. because people were starting to follow me. Like my friends and my family, they were supporting me. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just keep it up. So then around February, so around this time, uh, two years ago, uh, they put a notification on my calendar. Hey, you have a scheduled meeting with compliance mm-hmm. and my senior manager. And so they found out, obviously, I, I was honest. And they say, Leah, you have a conflict of interest with your business. And with your role at Goldman Sachs. And I was like, well, I'm in tech. I'm no longer in client onboarding. I'm not no longer tied to any service. I'm literally back end. And I have this business that is going to help people that has nothing to do with what you do. It's all very small scale. These are not people you're ever going to touch. And they pretty much said, pick your business. Either you close your LLC and continue to work here mm-hmm. and you'll be fine. Or if you don't, there's going to be repercussions. There's going to be risks, right? Yo de mensa. I don't like saying I was mensa, pero I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I didn't know at all because no one teaches you that you, you know, how to speak to compliance or Mm -hmm. HR. But I was like, well, I'm already in discussions with my manager about my compensation and I'm considering leaving because I'm not being compensated my my Mm. value, right? And so they said, oh, well, since you're not, <laughs> you have that you're like, open. since you're already trying to get leave, like, might as well, like, yeah. this is your last day. Mm. Mm. Um, here's the <clears throat> link to uh, mm. resign. Mm. My man my senior manager just sent me the link and he's like, I'm so sorry. And that's it. Yeah. So the way I look at that situation is I know um, and, and you've told before, afterwards, you know, it was something difficult to deal with. Like you were. And de- you were depressed, you know, you was at your parents' house and you was going through it, right? The way I look at that situation, and I've kind of been through something similar where um, sometimes, I mean, obviously God had a bigger purpose for you. Yeah. And I believe sometimes God just got to snatch you up by the neck and put you where you need to be. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? You, the whole time you're telling your story, like you're talking about your community, how you want to get back, how you want to leave an impact. And... You know, you're investing more into another company than you are into mm-hmm. your own community. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's happened to me, like literally damn near the same situation where a guy would just snatch you up by the neck and be like, I need you over here yeah. doing this. Mm-hmm. So you get fired and, um, you know, you the next couple of weeks, I know you're going through it emotionally. You're trying to mm-hmm. figure it out. 
And then I know your dad comes in and was like, yo, you got it. All right, come on, turn up. Yeah. It's time to get going. Yeah. Um, so walk us through what was the next thing after that? You had your Instagram account. You're helping people out. All right, it's time to get up out the bed. Your dad's like, it's time for you to get moving. What, what's next? Yeah, so I was having a whole Leah's dying. My whole identity <laughs> was gone. You know, I thought I was going to be that MD. Yeah. No, that didn't really happen. So, you know, morning, and my dad's like, Okay, hacer dinero, levántate. Mm-hmm. Y yo como que, okay, well, let me <laughs> mourn a little bit. Like, I'm sad. Right. You know, but he's like, Leah, this is what I work. This mm-hmm. is why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. So sell your house, move in with us, mm-hmm. start your business. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Um, that's like my whole life is up there, right? Mm-hmm. But this is in a moment where me and my dad actually started communicating again after a few months of not talking. Um, because of my career identity, there's a lot of homophobia in my cultura, mm-hmm. and at, especially at home. And so this is the first time that me and my dad are, are you know, actually coming together to yeah. respect one another and, and be there for each other. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, I was like, okay, my dad says it's okay. So we're good to go, <laughs> I guess. So I just really started posting on, on Instagram my story mm-hmm. and being fully vulnerable with, with the community that I was making. Very My community important. started with like 40 people. Then it was built to 100, 200, 2,000. And it was just me being vulnerable, me sharing my experience, me sharing that, hey, like, shit happens, clearly. Mm-hmm. Life is cannot be controlled, but what we can control, what we can protect is our money and our wealth, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't want people to go through my mistakes. Because when I got fired, not fired, I mm-hmm. literally resigned, but it, when I went through that whole experience, I wasn't ready for it. Mm. A lot of people were like, Leah, are you really going to take this risk and resign and not have income to pay your mortgage and everything? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to take that that shot for me. This is the only time I can take that shot. Mm. So mm. I'm going to take it. And How old were you at this time? I was 22, 23. Mm. Yeah. So I just, life, life has been very interesting in the sense that it's just put me directly onto the path that I need to go anytime that I've redirected like you said God picked me up and he's like mm-hmm. sorry sorry mm-hmm. you had that vision psych no mm-hmm. this is where you need to be because we need you because like I said in this moment in time not a lot of people were talking about money there's a few uh, Instagram accounts that were talking about it but never from a perspective of vulnerability and, and actually going through the mm-hmm. struggle right mm-hmm. I, I struggled in a way that's very different. Like, it's not the same struggle as someone who grows up in, in South LA or East LA, but like, you know, it was a struggle in For my sure. community, right? Because that's a whole different, different ballgame yeah. there, right? Um, so I feel very privileged to say that we could, you know, rely on people to help us out, right? Mm-hmm. So I move in with my parents. I start working, right? And opportunities just started rolling in. Like, I see you, Leah. What you say resonates with me. Mm-hmm. You know, your experience, oh my God, can you help me? I've never, I've never seen someone talk about, about the first-gen experience like that. Or, you know, my parents were affected in the 08 crisis. And I was like, oh my God, there's more of me? <laughs> I was like, there's more of my comunidad out there that's not in Utah. There's very few that would say I'm from Utah. It's usually my friends from high school that would be like, oh yeah, I resonate. I was like, yeah, we grew up together. <laughs> but... <laughs> Then people from L.A. were coming and talking mm-hmm. to me. People from Miami, people from New York, you know, people from Texas. And I was like, people see me like mm-hmm. that, you know? I didn't think that I 
me, small town. That's my mm -hmm. limited belief that I was like a small town girl, whatever, be in a place like this. Mm -hmm. But I'm very confident that I'm very aligned with my purpose. I'm mm -hmm. very aligned of where I need to be because, like you said, God took me out of where I wasn't supposed to be. And that experience taught me a lot. Don't get me wrong. I learned a lot about the big boys mm. up there. Yeah, for sure. Um, but now coming back to my comunidad, I have a lot of knowledge to share that for me, para que me, me, me sirve tenerlo aquí en la mente? Like, why, why, why does it matter to have it in my brain and not share it with my community? Mm -hmm. There's no purpose for it to just sit there, like, mm -hmm. and sit with a storage bag. Like, no, mejor yeah. is, it's better to share the knowledge like you're doing, you know, here today. It's, so important that we be outspoken and take up the space that we've never taken. 100%. And I love the fact that you were so vulnerable. I'm sure, pretty sure you were sharing your story and everything mm -hmm. that you're going through. And I think that's, that's a gem in itself because when you're vulnerable, when you show up the most vulnerable that you can be and the most real that you can be, people recognize that and they're willing to invest in you. They're willing to look out for you. They're willing to help you. And if you offer a product or service, they're willing to to rock with you and follow you. And yeah. I mean, it proved for you. You said you started off with 40 followers and now you at over 20,000 or something crazy like that. And like over 80,000 on TikTok, probably more. Um, man, that's, that's super dope. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit. I love for you to talk about what you specifically do now and how are you helping the community, right? Like what are what are some questions that, I'm asking like three questions in one. <laughs> like, what, so what what are you doing now? And like, what what are some ways that you're you're helping the community? Yeah. So primarily now, life life is life is crazy, man. Because mm -hmm. even a year ago, I wasn't doing what I'm doing now. But mm -hmm. I'm primarily a creator on TikTok and Instagram mm -hmm. for financial education. Mm -hmm. And my secondary job is coaching. Mm -hmm. So I do financial coaching and helping individuals create a relationship with money. Um, that gives them back the power to take control of their finances so that money no longer controls them, mm. right? Because we have financial systems that were put in place against us. Uh, and through my own experience, my way of fighting back, my way of showing that, you know, we can do better. Are there, not to cut you off, is there still systems that you see nowadays that are put in place that are against black and brown community and if so what does that look like for the people that don't know yeah i just made a video about this but um the one 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 thing about it is a lot of banks do not take itin so if you have immigrated into the united states and you don't have a social security number mm. for immigrant community they probably come and you know like okay where do i start well an itin is one of the first um levels of documentation to get you know a bank account mm. a to get a credit card. You can still invest and do a lot of things even without having a social security number. A lot of people don't know that because they don't really talk about it. And a lot of banks don't even have that in place. Mm. Some banks do, some banks don't, which already takes a group of people, puts them to the side, and that's why they go to the, what's it called, the easy pay stuff, where like mm. they go and exchange checks, mm. you know, because they don't have a bank account, so they need it in cash. I think I was reading a statistic uh, recently that... I think only 3% of white households don't have a bank. 12% mm -hmm. of Latino households don't have a bank. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a huge gap. Yeah, <laughs> compared huge. to our, yeah, our communities, yeah. And I think FDIC just announced another report that 30% of Latinos are actually unbanked. So completely, like, unbanked. Mm. 
please correct me if I'm wrong, um, but that's the last statistic that I got that I uh, saw. But and what you're saying probably obviously contributes to that, but I also think it's, it's probably the fear and the like you said the relationship with the bank where a lot of us just grew up just putting our money underneath the yeah. mattress, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. you know, we don't have a relationship with the bank. You know what I'm saying? That's something that you were seeing a lot as well? Yeah, and as well as, like, you think about it. Nuestra gente comes, they come from países where also their own government has failed them. Mm. From, that's why they left, right? A lot of them left through financial collapse through their own countries or just not being able to create wealth in their own countries. Uh, so they migrate to the United States thinking there's a better opportunity, right? But a lot of those opportunities are hard to get if you don't know the ins and outs of the mm -hmm. system that weren't really created for you to succeed and learn and understand, mm -hmm. which is like getting an ITIN or the fact that savings accounts interest is at 0.03% or 0.04% with regular banking institutions like Wells Fargo, JP Morgan Chase, and Bank of America. And then you have new products like high yield savings account where you're getting 3 to 4% interest rate. You Literally, Wall Street Journal posted an article and said 603 Americans lose $603 billion because their savings account is with a big bank mm. versus a, the newer products of like a high-yield savings account. Mm. It's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money and wealth that's being taken away through these mm -hmm. big banks and not given back in return. It'd be different if they gave you, you know, this lower interest rate mm -hmm. in your savings account, but they were doing more for you, offering you better interest rates for mm -hmm. your loans but a lot of people just have their account, they put their money in, and then lo guardan. They save it and save it and save it, gaining pennies mm -hmm. over the span over the years yeah. versus, you know, 10% interest, 4% interest. Even if it's just saving, right? It's not investing. Completely different concept. It's just saving. Yep. But 4% can make a difference. Yeah. So you talked about that you, for the most part, you're a content creator, but you also do coaching. Mm -hmm. Walk us through a coaching session. Somebody's coming to you, they're paying for your service. What does that typically look like for you? Like, what yeah. are some common questions that people are asking? I'd love to, like, get some of those questions answered on this, yeah, this uh, episode. Yeah. So um, one thing that we talk about, and a lot of people come to me, is like, I don't know how to look at my money. I can't even look at my bank account. Mm -hmm. It's overwhelming. Mi mami no me enseñó. Mi papi no me enseñó. I didn't learn it in, in school. So where do I start? Where do I begin? And what's crazy is I don't start with the numbers. I don't go and say, okay, how much debt you have? How much is your savings? No. I start about what is your relationship to money now? Mm. Uh, what happened in the past? How was your upbringing? What is mm. your money story? Right? Mm. And a lot of people start thinking, okay. Getting that mind right. Yeah. Like, okay, well, you know, I had a client once tell me that her dad burned money in front of her. To kind of a power move of saying, like, money isn't, doesn't matter. Wow. And That's crazy. that impacted her relationship with money as an adult, where now she's a money hoarder, where she doesn't like to spend on herself. That's crazy. Of that, you know, situation that happened in her upbringing. And we couldn't identify that until we dissected what was her story? Where did she grow up, right? Everybody has different experiences. And like I said, like, you know, growing up in California is very, grow very different than growing up in Texas, 100%. right? Different, completely different experiences. I can't say I relate to an experience of someone in California, you know, where the struggle can be real. Mm -hmm. Versus in Utah, the struggle ain't real there. People who say we struggle, it's very hard to struggle in Utah because you already have to have a lot of money to live in Utah because mm -hmm. it's very expensive. So, at least now. Uh, but when we when we dissect all those things, it's like, oh, really? My dad had a, like, my dad played a part into that? I'm like, yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, they come to the next session and they're like, 
Leah, so yeah, I was looking at how I spend and I was looking at how my dad spends. Mm. Mm. We're the same. Mm. And I'm like, mm, I wonder why, right? Like you learn from your parents. For Whoever's sure. that masculine energy in your family, sometimes it's the mother. If you're in a single, you know, mom household, your mother is working. Your working. mother is grinding. Your mother's trying to bring in the money. And whatever they, you know, I had a client tell me, well, my mom also loved to shop. Mm. My mom would get paid. All the kids be going shopping together. And then that's a habit that they de developed in their own adulthood. Mm -hmm. Of Every time they got paid, they would blow their money, right? So it's identifying that relationship with money of their past, that now they're present, was the damage they did. Like, what have you done now that you want to work on it now? Mm. Are you really ready? Because I have a lot of people who want to work with me. And then after like the first three sessions, they're like, okay, this is overwhelming. Or they just ghost me, literally, because I think that conversation with money can be really overwhelming mm -hmm. and a lot of people feel like they're a failure and I'm like no we're all in different journeys we're all trying to find alignment with our money finding something that's balancing our life you know I'm not prioritizing how much dollars you're investing I'm not prioritizing the amount of money you're saving I'm trying to prioritize your relationship with money that's best fit for your lifestyle mm -hmm. because I have a client who can invest $200 a month into their 401k and I have someone who can't even invest in their 401k because they're trying to conquer their debt right and there's all these different relationships money that we have to navigate and so that's what we're discovering in our coaching sessions is what where do you also want to be too right we're understanding your past where you are now what you're what, what you're able to do but also where do you want to go how can I help you get there even if it's from six months from now or a year from now because you can change a lot of your habits, mm -hmm. you know, 21 days is the, is the, is the model, right? Mm -hmm. But you can completely change your journey, your relationship with money, your story. You no longer have to tie, you know, tie to that story of like, oh, my dad burned money in front of me. I no longer have to tie to my dad lost our house in the way. You know, it's a part of me. Mm -hmm. It's a part of my story, but it's no longer a part of like where I'm going. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the most common unhealthy money habits or like spending habits that you typically see with these clients or even on social media, you know, creating content, maybe people are commenting or sending you DMs. What are like the most common ones? A lot of people love their credit cards. Even mm. me. Um, I have a working relationship with credit cards, mm. uh, but a lot of people rely on their credit cards as the emergency fund, as mm. uh, what we, you know, we use our credit card to, to buy things when I, you know, I haven't got my paycheck yet. I'm like, okay. And so what are you doing when you do get your paycheck? Well, I'm spending it mm. on things that I want. So I'm like, so we'll buy your credit card. She's like, well, it's there. And I'm like, okay, so you're paying your credit card? No, like minimums, right? And that's how you start accumulating debt by neglecting that credit card payment. And I like to put this into perspective for individuals. That 25% interest is going to those big banks in the first place. So if you leave money there, just know you're funding them. 25% or 22. Right now, credit card interest rates are high because the Fed has interest rates high. So therefore, it's it's playing right, into your debt. They're not bringing them down either. Yeah, and they're not going to bring them down at least you know anytime soon. Right, right. So you know when we're we're talking about this, you know what I see the patterns. They just you know avoidance. They don't want to look at their bank account. They get their paycheck and they go. You know they're like, I work so hard for this money, so I'm gonna go spend. I'm gonna go to the bars. Go drop it on alcohol. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, I love to go to the bar, go to a happy hour. 
But also that shit adds up. Mm-hmm. These habits add up. And so we have to kind of go back down to the basics. Okay, let's. what happens if we remove that credit card? Can you manage your finances? Can you, can you still pay your bills if your credit card wasn't involved? Mm-hmm. A lot of people can say yes. A lot of people could say no. I think it's that instant gratification too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? People, like you said, they work so hard for their money. And they they want to feel good about what they just worked hard for, whether it's a pair of shoes or like you say, going to the bar or something. And if we can, as a community, learn to delay that gratification, we hear that a lot. Um, you can set your future up, you know what I'm saying, a lot better, right? Yeah, and it's not even a lot that you have to put away, mm-hmm. you know. I think it's, I keep cutting you off, I'm sorry. But uh, I think it, it's more of the, like getting into the habit of doing it right whether it's five dollars ten dollars five hundred dollars and i love that you brought up like it depends on your lifestyle if you're not making as much as the next person it's fine let's let's put away 50 bucks a month to get you in that habit to get to to get you to to have that discipline to start saving and to get you where you want to be it's a hundred percent important that you understand the lifestyle that you have and also the lifestyle that you can afford mm. It's what we call lifestyle creep, right? So you could be creeping on your money, meaning you're overspending, thinking that you can have this lavishly life that they say on TikTok that every hot girl has, (laughs) but that's not the reality of it, right? Like your reality is a little bit different. Mm. You got more bills to pay, unfortunately. Mm. And not saying that you can't have that type of lifestyle. I'm not saying that. I'm saying prioritize paying off your bills first and then go get your facial and then go get, you know, go splurge on whatever you want to be splurging mm-hmm. on, right? Uh, what I've, you know, with one of my clients, I was just having this conversation because now we're working like about five months together. So the last few sessions, because we worked for six months. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, in the session, I was like, okay, so tell me about your weekend. You know, it's the first of the month. What'd you do with your paycheck? Did you get your, you know, other paycheck? Because she has two jobs. Um, she's a veteran or she's currently in active military, but she's about to uh, be released. And she... I told her to get another job so she has something lined up mm-hmm. and it's something that she loves. You know, she's a trainer. So she's like, Leah, I got my training paycheck and I paid off my furniture loan and I paid off my credit card and I did, you know, and then I'm waiting for my next paycheck and I'm going to put more to my savings. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and then I don't know what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Yes. That's what we're here for. I was like, do you see how different this was from like five months ago mm. when you would have gotten that money? Where would have gone? She's like, Gymshark. Mm. I'm like, yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's really just reframing the mindset of prioritizing, yes, your financial well-being and also your life, whatever that looks like. Right. So I'm telling her, all right, did you save, pay off your credit card or pay your credit card? Because, you know, some people are also in payment plans, like trying to figure out, you know, what works for their lifestyle to pay off their debt. And it's okay. Because debt is neutral. At the end of the day, it served us a purpose at one point. Yes, probably we're choyando esa tarjeta like no other. But we forgive ourselves, <laughs> we move on, and we pay it off, okay? Right, right. We can't sit with that debt. But it's like that transformation of being real with yourself. You're like, you know what? I did that. You know, I have some clients that tell me, Leah, I did it. I was like, what'd you do? She's like, so, you know, and it's being honest. It's being like, okay, so let's recalibrate. Yeah. What are, what are we going to do about it? And I ask them to tell me versus me tell them because mm. I want them to reframe their mindset instead of punishing themselves. They're going to actually create rewarding, actionable steps to conquer whatever mm. they feel like, you know, maybe they're overspent or have debt. 
I love that you said um, acknowledge it and forgive yourself. Let it go. You know what I'm saying? You made the mistake. Let's figure out how we can do better and fix it next time. Um, shifting gears a little bit, I'm curious. So we'll have a, we have like a group of Latinos that are listening to this, and there's a lot of information on here. Maybe they don't have the the funds to, you know, hit you up and, and, and like, you know, purchase one of your services or engage with you. But where, where would you give... Like where where should you where should these people start? You know what I'm yeah. saying? That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Is like where should they start? There's so much information out there. There's so many people to follow. People talking about crypto. People talking about mm-hmm. stock options, mm-hmm. paying off credit card debt. Like there's just so much information, and I think that causes people not to do anything at all. Like it's just so much that they're consuming and they don't do nothing. Where would you suggest for our community to start? Where would you like them to start? Knowledge is power. I'm going to just say with that, so start educating yourself through books. And I know that sounds so antiguo, so old school, but books have a lot of knowledge, mm-hmm. even from books cre- you know, written 50 years ago. I'm currently starting a book club. Um, it's called Crecer Book Club, and we're reading Think and Grow Rich, and it was written in 1937. Mm-hmm. This book is old, right? But it has so much knowledge, in it, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, damn, they were talking about manifestation back in 1937. Mm-hmm. And I'm over here now reading this book, and I'm, I'm learning and reframing my mindset too, but there's so much information overload through TikTok and Instagram. Like yeah. now financial literacy content is just available everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Everywhere. Like you can get advice from anybody at the, these days, right? On on TikTok, YouTube, uh, you know, even podcasts. But remember, finances are personal. No one has your same experience, mm. right? Uh, you will have to customize what you learn to your specific life. Because, yes, I might say, hey, you know, it's really good to pay off, you know, your credit cards. Mm-hmm. But maybe you don't have the funds to pay off your credit mm-hmm. cards. So we got to start with the minimum payments. But maybe you have a balance transfer. It gets real complicated. So you have to – I like reading books as a starter point because these are people who have expertise, who have years of knowledge that they've, you know, said, okay, I'm going to put it in a book. You know, another book that's really great is We Should All Be Ma- uh, Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Highly recommend it as an empowerment book of – giving you that confidence to be that next version of yourself. Um, because mindset is really what it starts with, though. Like, as much as, there's, like I said, there's financial literacy content everywhere. But your mindset really is yeah. what makes or breaks your relationship with money, your relationship with your friends, life in general. Because I'm telling you, if, if I sat and compared myself to everybody or said, you know, what if I, you know, had this or you know, eh, I can't have this because of this, you know, I'm comparing myself, I'm down, like putting that negative energy out there. I'm not aligned anymore because Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so down, you know, I have a lot of people telling me, you know, I just grow up here, you know, I'm, I'm from, you know, Minnesota, or Mm -hmm. I'm from somewhere that doesn't have a lot of community or doesn't have a lot of resources. I'm like, you can be better than them. Mm -hmm. You can, we can get you the resources that you need to align yourself with the path that you want in your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of content out there. I love books. There's always creators with workshops, but I always like to recommend that we need um, to background check our yeah. creators sometimes. Yeah. I think that's really important to go on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. look at their experience, what impact they've done with the community. If you want to get advice from a creator of um, someone like me or even someone who's just posting money content, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, Finances are so personal, but I like to always go back to the basics of 
books. Yeah, love that. <laughs> and we can start wrapping this thing up pretty soon. Um, and I know, if I'm not mistaken, you have a financial literacy and empowerment workshop coming up soon. That- um, so I'm planning one. I'm okay. Planning one for I was gonna. So I was gonna do one a little more sooner, but things. I okay. In. Okay. So I have one coming in March. Okay. Yeah. That's still pretty soon. So for the people out there that want to connect with you and learn more about this, this, um, whatever you're doing with the, the, the workshop and whatnot, um, the events, where can people reach out to you? Where can people find you? Yeah. So you can find me the Latina wealth activist on Instagram and TikTok. My website is latinawealthactivist.com. If you want to learn more about my services, any workshops, any events, uh, you can go to the riquezaco.com where I have all my resources as well as I have a free club where people can learn with me. Like my book club is free because mm-hmm. I think knowledge should be accessible. Mm-hmm. So I try to do my my very best in making things as accessible as possible, but also go out and get paid because yeah. we got this experience and it ain't free. Yeah, <laughs> so, so you can find me there. I do my very best to, you know, my mission is really to just talk money in a real and transparent way to give financial education and and make it accessible because it is a privilege to know financial literacy unfortunately Mm -hmm. absolutely and one last question who was one person that needs to be in a latin wealth podcast the only the only exception is you got to be able to know them (laughs) yeah who should i bring on to the latin wealth podcast Uh, let me see i'm trying to think i have to be with money um, anybody can be entrepreneur. It can be whoever. Uh, let's let's call on La Vajetera. Okay. La Vajetera, okay. She provides a financial education in mm-hmm. Spanish, mm-hmm. and so I really love her content. She's Boricua, and so she's out there living in Puerto Rico. Okay. So I love her content. Yeah. Cool. We'll definitely have to connect with her. Yeah. And with that being said, you guys know where to find us on Instagram at Latin Wealth yeah. on Instagram. This episode is going to be available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you stream your podcast. And with that being said, thank you for tuning in. It's your boy, Chris. Catch you guys next week. Peace.